Good evening. Uh, it's great to see you, especially if this is your first time in, uh, in church. It's great to see you. I want to talk to you this evening about um, what you are truly worth. What are you truly worth? Where do you get your sense of value from? At the start of the new year, we often reevaluate things, don't we? The beginning of January, sort of think, okay, fitness, diet, um, how we spend our time, um, how we're going to prioritize who we spend our time with. And, and maybe you go a bit deeper and you start thinking of things like um, purpose. What's my purpose? What am I here in this world for? What's my sense of worth? Now, on Tuesday... This week, uh, Jeff Bezos, founder, chairman, and CEO of Amazon.com, replaced Bill Gates as the richest person in the world ever in history. And he has a net worth of $105 billion. Now, I was pondering my sense of worth this week, and I came across this website called Humans for Sale. And um, if you log on to that, it gives you this form that you can fill in, and it has four factors that it takes into consideration. Now, the first one is a physical factor, so you put in your age, your hair color, eye color, height, weight, that kind of thing. Second one is mental factors, so your education, your IQ. Thirdly, lifestyle factors, where you live what exercise you do, how often you watch the TV, and then fourthly, personality factors. And you rate these yourself. So um, it would be poor, below average, average, above average, and um, excellent on things like style, artistic ability, sense of humour. So I filled that all in, and uh, I'm very honest, I think. And, uh, And then I hit the submit button. And then it revealed my worth, which is £1,440,250.50. Now, it's not as much, obviously, as MrAmazon.com, but I was quite chuffed with that. I thought, I thought, that's all right. I thought, I love that quiz. It's brilliant. What a great little quiz. <laughs> and then I scrolled down, and then I saw what other people had put their worth as, what had come out for them, and I didn't feel so content anymore, and I just thought, stupid quiz, what does that mean anyway? Stupid. Doesn't know what's it talking about. But I thought, what does it matter? What does it mean? What did that thing mean? And maybe you heard that story from Luke 15, and you just think, uh, nice story, but what does that matter? What does it mean from Luke 15? And I'll just read it quickly again to you now. Imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbours. Celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. So it's a story about a woman. She has 10 coins. Happened to have 10 coins. Voila. And she loses one. Anyone fancy a chocolate coin? Yeah, there we go. Oh, not sure if it got to you. It's a bad throw. Didn't obviously score that high on my uh, abilities thing on that test. And she loses one. Now, one Saturday last May, we lost a coin. And um, it wasn't so much the coin, the lost coin itself, that was a drama. It was where it was lost. My son, one of my sons, I've got four boys. One of my sons came into me into the kitchen and he just said, Mum, I've swallowed a coin. Now, you might be picturing maybe a two, three-year-old, but our four sons are aged between eight and 15. And you might think that that's 
of an age where you can trust them with a coin. I mean, I did. I did. I thought that was, I thought that was fine. So my non-toddler age son um, says this to me, and I just said, what, what, what coin is it? And he says, 50p. And I'm a bit like, how did you manage to get the second biggest UK coin in circulation stuck in your throat? And uh, anyway, so I thought that. But then obviously I thought, I've got to help him because he's going funny in the face. You know, his colour's losing colour in the face. So I call two of my other sons and one of them comes down and I said, can you do the Heimlich manoeuvre on him? You know, try and dislodge this thing, get it up. So he was doing that. And I said to one of the other sons, go and get dad. My husband Martin was on the common playing in a football match. So he, he ran up to the common to go and get him. My son is gradually changing colour in the face and then Martin comes through the door and um, we're all starting to panic and he just says what's happening what's going on and then my just son goes I think I just swallowed it and so we're thinking okay well at least now it's cleared the airways and he's you know he's the right colour again so at least he can breathe um, and then we take him up to A&E obviously have to wait around a little while and they do an x-ray on him they can't see the coin at all in him and they just said it looks like you're just going to have to wait until he passes it I'm thinking oh 50p that's, that's not going to be comfy but they were telling us actually that they had had one boy and they swallowed a dart and that he had to wait to pass that I just thought I felt a little bit better about my parenting after I heard that that story. Anyway, so a few days, a few days passed, and we every time we went to the toilet, we would say to him, "You know, anything, anything." And and uh, my other sons have thought, of course, that it was really funny to say, "Oh, did you spend a penny, or did you find a penny?" Um, so that was another parenting issue we had to deal with there because teasing, did all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so days went on, and there was no sign of the coin. And then I had an idea, and I said, "Well, I know that one of the clergy here has got a metal detector." So I said to Will Vanderhart, can I borrow your metal detector? And he said, yes. And he brought it here on a Sunday. And we laid my son out in the room just through there. And then we, we laid him out and we just moved the metal detector over him gradually. And then you just heard this beep, 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 beep. And we're like, oh my gosh, it's still in his body. And then we just moved him and we realized that there was some metal right underneath where he was lying. So I just moved him somewhere else. And then we were going up and down him again, up and down him again. And there was no beeps and there was no sound. And I mean, all to say really that that coin is well and truly lost because there really has been no sight of it. But thankfully he was all right. He's been okay. And, um, the thing is, it wasn't about the coin. It wasn't really about the coin. It was about him. It was about a person. It was about our son. We needed to make sure that he was okay. And this story that Jesus tells is not really about a coin. It's about you, and it's about me. Um, perhaps there's a part of you that resonates with that sense of being lost. And maybe you're Maybe you're experiencing an acute sense of feeling lost at the moment, and maybe it's almost a cyclical thing. Every September, the start of an academic year, you think about life and what you're doing, and you actually feel a bit lost. Then in January, again, at the start of an, a calendar year, you kind of keep going over those same things, and you still feel, feel a bit lost. Or maybe you don't feel lost at all. 
I didn't grow up going to church and I didn't feel lost. I didn't feel any sense of being lost at all. And then I heard somebody speak about Jesus and how they spoke about him really intrigued me. And I just thought, and I prayed and I said, God, if this is true, what he's saying, if all this stuff about Jesus is real, then show me. And then 36 hours later, I had this experience of God. I had this encounter by his Holy Spirit, similar to what um, Gideon described. And this sense of feeling, an incredible sense of joy and love, but it's actually almost hard to put into words. But at a time when I wasn't actually feeling very lost, after that experience, I definitely felt found and we've all lost things, haven't we, in our lives at some point or other. You know, your keys, mobile phone, your wallet, your purse, something or other. We've all had that sense of what it feels like to lose something. I read an article in The Guardian titled, Losing Your Smartphone, The Five Stages of Grief. It's very real, isn't it, people? It's very real. The panic sets in. Or if you lose your wallet or your, um, your purse or anything, as soon as you lose it, you start to panic. Your heart starts to beat faster and you start to panic. And when I think of this story about this woman, I think, now, had she lost one of those three things, I perhaps would have sympathized a bit more. But she didn't. She just lost a coin. But the woman's lost coin in this story was worth more than 50p, it was actually the value of a day's wages. Now, on hearing that, you might either think that's not that much money or you might think that's a lot of money, depending on whether you're a student, what, whether you work or what you earn. But the truth is, we all regret losing money. And with this woman, she, she, regret, she regretted losing her money, but she didn't sit in her regret. Actually, she could have been content with the fact that she had nine other silver coins, but she's not. And when it came to her coin that was lost, she takes action. And she takes action in three ways. First, she counted it a priority. She counted it a priority to find this coin. She could have gone about her day and thought, oh, I don't know where it is. I'll find it later. But she didn't. And the fact that it was lost in her house, she could have just thought, I'll find it when I find it. I will find it at some point when I'm just going about doing my thing. It'll come across. But she didn't. She counted it a priority to find it. Now, I think as people, we're a bit of a mixed bag, aren't we, when it comes to looking for things. Certainly in my household, if um, somebody is looking in for their coat in the cupboard, they'll open the cupboard. If they can't see their coat within two seconds, then they'll just say, Mom, where's my coat? And then there's other people in my household who will look in a cupboard and if they can't see their coat, they might make an effort, actually expend a little bit more energy by maybe moving one or two coats and they would just say, here's your coat. You know, so we're all a bit different, aren't we, the way we look for things. Um, and um, actually, I, I recently saw a clip about Kim Kardashian. I know this is a few years old, but when she was um, newly wed at that time to Chris um, Humphreys and they were on their honeymoon I think and he picked her up and he threw her in the sea you know just a bit fun larking around and she's laughing 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 and then she starts crying because she, she's like my earring my earring I've lost my earring and then she says that's $75,000 $75, worth of earrings so she's freaking out that she's now lost one of these earrings it cost her $75,000 I mean I think I'd be freaking out as well and then you've got Chris Humphreys standing there and he's just like don't worry babe we'll find it and then he jumps into the water and then he just, 
you know, he's kind of not even really swimming, just sort of sticks his head down. We'll find it. I'm thinking, there's no way you're going to find that earring. This is like the South Pacific Ocean. You're going to have to do a bit more searching than that. If it was me, if I'd have lost an earring like that of that wolf, I would have hired some sort of robot swarms, you know, that's patrol Venice Lagoon or something to try and find it. We all look for things with different levels of effort. But this woman, she makes it her priority. She carefully goes through her, throughout her entire house looking for the coin. And secondly, it cost her personally. She counted it a priority and it cost her personally. Now, as I said, the coin's value was a day's wage. She could have used the same amount of energy she spent looking for that coin, actually earning the value of that coin again. She could have spent the day earning that equivalent, but she doesn't. The only thing about this coin was it was lost. So she searches for it. Now, in a house around that time in the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, it would have been made of um, a building stone called basalt. It was a dark stone, so dark walls, dark floor, dark things, really hard to see anything. And the, the houses at that time either wouldn't have had windows or they would have had windows that were just like thin slits, really tiny slits. So it's really dark in there. So what she has to do is she has to light a lamp. Now, the thing is, oil for their lamps actually was pretty costly itself. And it was only usually been saved for use at night time. But she's desperate to find this coin. So she expends energy um, and she used, it costs her to light this lamp in order to try and find the coin. And then thirdly, she calls a party. She called a party. When she finds the coin, she calls her friends and she calls her neighbours. She gets on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever. She just says, I've found my lost coin. Come over, let's have a party, let's celebrate. Actually, the chances are it probably cost her the nine coins that she had left in order to throw a party to have her neighbours and all her friends over. But she calls a party. So what is Jesus saying to the Pharisees? What is he saying to the religious leaders, the pastors of that time? He's saying, I am like the woman and the people that they had a problem with him hanging around with, he says they are like the lost coin. Now, this would have been culturally shocking in two ways. The first is that in that culture, women would have been regarded as second-class citizens. And so Jesus is affirming the worth of a woman by even depicting himself as a woman. And secondly, Jesus is saying he not only tolerates these people of dubious character, these dodgy guys, these sinful people. He doesn't just tolerate them, but he pursues them. He goes after them. He cares for them, that finding the lost matter. Like the woman, Jesus counts it a priority. The oil, the lamp, the oil lamp the woman used represents Jesus, who came so that the lost could be found. He says of himself in the Gospel of Luke, I am the light of the world. He came to seek and save the lost, to find and restore the lost. Jesus is the guiding light that was sung about just a few minutes ago. It costs Jesus personally. The coin doesn't do anything and it doesn't, its value doesn't actually change whether it's lost or whether it's found. So going full circle to the question that I asked at the beginning, what are you truly worth? 
What is your sense of value? Your worth isn't based upon what you do or what you don't do, what you've done, what you haven't done. The value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay for it. And Jesus paid the ultimate price. He gave his life for you and he gave his life for me. This is like the crazy economy of God. The Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And just like the woman, Jesus calls a party. It says every time somebody gets found, all heaven celebrates, all of heaven. Picture it, all of heaven celebrates So I've talked about this coin, what the coin meant to the woman, talked about what the story meant to the religious leaders that Jesus was talking to. But you might be thinking, that's all very nice, but what what does this mean for me? What does this matter to me? How is this relevant to me? But in short, Jesus is saying, you are his priority. You are his priority. You matter to him. He's saying you can know him personally. He died on the cross so that you could know him personally. And he invites you to a party. He invites you to join in the party. When I was 10 years old, um, I was on holiday with my family and we went to Wales and we went for a walk in this woodland. And it was one of those circular walks. And you know those kind of things where you have to choose either a colour or something and you stick to the red and it shows you the red route. It was one of those kind of things. But this one, the, um, the route that you were to take was depicted by a wooden post and it had a footprint painted on the sort of slant of the wooden post. And the direction that the footprint pointed towards was the path that you would take. So we started out on this journey, on this little walk. And then my brother, I was 10, my brother was 11. We decided we would run on ahead. So we ran on ahead and then um, after a little while, we waited and we waited, looked around, couldn't see mum and dad and the others. And so uh, we thought we'd run back. We'd run back to where we last found them. But when we got to where we'd last seen them, we couldn't see them. We couldn't see them anywhere. Literally, we were shouting for them. We were calling for them. And it started, it started to dawn on us that we were lost. So we start, and, and then it started to get dark um, as clouds came over the woods and it started to rain. So we were now there, lost. Um, We were wet and we were running up and down this path, legging it up and down this path, trying to see any sort of sign of where our mum and dad might be. And as we were panicking, then suddenly we heard these footsteps and we could see our dad. And he was running. He was drenched in water. He was totally soaked through. He was wet with the rain, but he was wet with sweat. He had been running round and round and round these woods trying to find us. And then he'd noticed that this one particular post with the footprint, it was a little ambiguous as to which path it was directing it to. So he just thought, maybe they've taken the wrong path and maybe they've got lost. So then he started running all that route until eventually he found us. And when he got to us, I remember he dropped on his knees in the mud and he just held out his hands and he just hugged us. And we were there and we just thought, brilliant, we've been found, here we go now. Because we're a bit wet and, and dirty and muddy. But he just said, just wait, just wait, just let me hold you. And he wasn't angry he was just glad that we weren't lost anymore. Now, God's love for you is like that, but it is far, far greater. 
He is a loving father who never gives up looking for you until you are found. Amen.